Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Roots podcast. I'm Tiffany Durr, and today we have, of course, my co-host, Nicole, with us, and a special guest, my aunt, Leona Stuckey Abbott, and I am very excited to have her on our podcast. She wrote the most amazing, raw, real book I feel like I have ever read in my entire life, and I am so thankful for it. So... Here is my aunt Leona. We're going to dive into her book, her past, and Leona or Nicole, somebody else talk now. <laughs> I'm so, so, so honored and so excited to have you here, Leona. Honestly, um, Tiffany told me about your book and I binge read it for two days. I think it was, I was just stuck at my computer. It was just one of those things that you just can't stop reading. And I was just, I was shocked I think I was terrified at moments uh, other times I I just kind of had this pain in my heart and my stomach and and I just went on this journey with you and just wow <laughs> yeah so thank you for reading it I I so appreciate when people read it and really take it in you know what you just described your your bodily reactions mm. are are so crucial because that tells me that you did journey with me. Mm. You really did. Yeah. And, you know, that is such an honor to me to have people do that. And likewise for you, Tiffany, I know you read it long before, but, um, mm -hmm. but thank you so, so much, both of you. Mm -hmm. And thanks for inviting me here. This is, this is really great. You know, I we should, it. we should really mention the name of your book, Leona. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should. And the name is strong enough, I think, to kind of give you a hint of what you find in the book. It's called The Fog of Faith. Surviving My Impotent God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, a very, very strong and emotional book. Now in it, you talk about your early life growing up in Kansas um, and, and how amazing it could be. And then some of how the, the religious the religion that you grew up with um, kind of blinded your, your family and um, really the entire town to, to things that could be going on in the world. So that wasn't a question, yeah. was it? <laughs> <laughs> We're no so need for a question. That's okay. I can follow up on a comment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, you know, I grew up Mennonite mm -hmm. and, um, and in, in not the most conservative Mennonite, but you know, we're talking 60, 70 years ago. And um, that was really um, a rural area. I grew up on a farm kind of even secluded from the town and the people. And, um, um, and of course, faith was so crucially important to me. I mean, I told my grandma Stuckey when I was, oh golly, um, four years old. I don't remember this, but I, I remember being told 
this little story <laughs> that I was going to grow up to be a missionary. And of course, it made her very proud of me. And it was just about the only thing I knew that anybody could do when they grew up. So, mm -hmm. so um, <laughs> especially if you're a girl, <laughs> mm -hmm. being a missionary is acceptable. Um, but I just really wanted to do what I thought was good, you know, were good things. Mm -hmm. So that's what I told her. And of course, she was proud. Right, <laughs> right. Well, the, yeah. the, the, the Mennonite, um, Mennonite religion I, in, in your book, that was the first time I'd ever, I'd ever heard of it. I'd never, I'd never heard of that before. So it was really interesting to read about it from your perspective as a young child and, and your kind of, I think your father's stance as well, I think was just so interesting that he was such, such a deep rooted pacifist. I mean, it was, it's, it was mm -hmm. admirable um in so many ways and and then there was also a part of me that was like oh my god that's really it, it felt really frustrating and, and limiting as you sort of got through the book as well but mm -hmm. it's um yeah it was it was a real eye-opener for me because it, it sounds very idyll idyllic you know to be such a such a deep-rooted pacifist but then you see that in the world that we live in sometimes it feels incompatible it, it does. I mean, I feel like that was one of the themes throughout the entire book. And maybe something that many of us don't really consider, which is what does pacifism mean if you're a woman versus a man? Hmm. And um, how does that impact life and choices? And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's in some ways, it's a different experience, even though I had no idea of that. And um, when I was growing up, of course, um, I was very proud of my father's um, position as a pacifist and what he had sacrificed mm -hmm. to be able to show <laughs> to um, demonstrate his pacifism. And I think our whole family, I mean, we were kind of in awe. Sometimes people think, well, if he hadn't been a pacifist, he could have done more to help me. Hmm. And I think that's not actually accurate because when I was raped and almost killed and then, um, you know, trying to figure out what to do about that. First of all, it was so hard to tell my parents. I mean, I just could barely get the words out. Mm. And I don't know really how good of a job I did. And of course, when I came home that night, they were asleep. And so I had to wake them up. And I don't know how much they really picked up and understood everything that I was saying. Mm -hmm. um, but if my dad had decided, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go after Ron and he's a dead man and blah, 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 because of what he did to my daughter, that would have been the most horrible thing that could have happened to our family. And I would have felt somehow responsible. So I'm not sure I would have even told my parents the truth. 
hmm. of what happened if um, I thought that my dad would be, you know, jump off the edge and, and do something irrational because we totally, you know, as a farmer, there's no way we could have survived without his help on the farm. Yeah. And our family would have been dispersed all over. My mom was too sick to handle anything. I mean, we were counting 100% on him. If he had been put in jail for this, oh, <laughs> that could have been, you know, that would have been the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah. So, so the other thing that I think made a huge difference is that Ron um, knew my dad, had worked with him and got along with him really well. And my dad usually did get along really well with people that, that worked with him. And so they had enough of a relationship that dad could talk to him and sometimes make a difference. Hmm. And uh, Ron respected my dad. So there was, you know, he could, he could at times make a real difference and did mm -hmm. at times make a real difference. I don't know if you remember the scene where um, my new husband and I came um, and, um, and uh, Randy came home to the farm to visit and Ron showed up and my dad was able to get Ron to leave. Mm -hmm. That was an amazing thing that happened. And, um, and it was because of Ron's respect for my father that that could happen. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I think I would have been better off if my father had been an entirely different kind of person. And, you know, if, if Ron knew that my dad was probably going to have a gun and you know, come after him, he would have reacted very differently. Yeah. And he may have taken the first shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. He may have um, come after us as he said he would. And, um, you know, that would be that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the, I mean, it's so hard to comprehend when you're, when you're in the book that, that you're, I mean, you, you, I think you mentioned it a few times how when Ron showed up, your, your dad managed to talk him down, but you're kind of thinking in your mind, how is that even ever going to be possible? But it's, mm -hmm. it's um, yeah, it's amazing how, how you're describing it now. It gives it, I think it gives it more, um, it, it makes it more tangible <laughs> in a uh -huh. sense. Uh -huh. Yeah. But I think the other thing that jumped out for me, sorry to, to rob the conversation, but I'm just so, so in awe of this, you know, the, the everything, the, the amazing relationship that you, you had with your father. I mean, that, that really touched my, touched my soul. I mean, the way you describe it is just so beautiful. I, I count that relationship as something that stood me in good stead my entire life. And some people wonder, you know, how, how did you get through that and, you know, become a professional and, you know, do the things I've done with my life. And 
the thing I can say is simply that I had a loving family. Yeah. That makes you know, me want to cry when I, <laughs> yes. I am so grateful for my family. I just am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I admire about you specifically, Leona. Um, so growing up, you know, you were Aunt Leona, you were quirky, you were so much fun. <laughs> and I had no idea everything that you had gone through. And I remember when we did travel together through Europe, I kind of got touches and hints of it. And you told me a little bit about it. And I was like, what? And um, Ron actually called my house one time when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I remember this very clearly. And I told him, yeah, somebody called and said they're Randy's dad and they're looking for Randy. But it wasn't, it wasn't uncle. I don't know if you use his real name in the book. say his name. Okay. It wasn't, it was not my uncle. It was Ron. And, and they're like, uh, what? And so like, even, um, in the States, we have letterman jackets that have your name on the back. I, I always wanted one with a hood, but my mom made me whenever I was not around people I knew zip my hood up. So you couldn't see my last name. Cause she was afraid of me being abducted. And I didn't know I didn't know any of this until he had called and my mom's like, he's really bad news. This is why we try to protect you. And my parents were more freaked out than I'd ever seen my parents freak out. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's been my experience. And so then when I was reading your book, it took me a long time. I did not binge read it. It took me a long time because I knew you. And it's so easy to put myself in your shoes because we were family. We have a lot of similarities and I just, I know there were times where I just, I had to sit it down and walk away because it was so much to take on. And what I was trying to say when I started this sentence is I just admire how you've gone through so much that other people just can't even imagine. And you have come out the other side sunshine and fun loving, and you are the epitome of what I think of a strong woman Mm. is somebody that I want to be like when I grow up. And I'm just, (laughs) I've just been amazed by, by all you've gone through. So what, so you, you say that it's family is part of help, but there's gotta be more in there. I mean, it's pushed you to continue um, after going through, we haven't talked about it much, but you were, you were raped. Then you ended up pregnant and you ended up marrying the person that raped you. And he was abusive and you, you started going, I mean, you moved away and then you get away from him and you start college. Like it's incredible. It's just incredible. So what else do you think drove you? Well, I, I always, I was so distracted by Ron when I was in high school that, and with all the work on the farm, I didn't have a lot of time for other things. So I, um, I didn't do as well as I might have in high school. And so I, I felt like maybe I'm not smart enough and I really wanted another chance. <laughs> I really wanted another chance and I wanted to expand my life and be able to know things that I didn't know and just have the world open up to me, which is the way that I thought about college. And I knew it would be an incredible challenge and uh, to do that with a baby and 
all of that. And, but I just desperately wanted that. So I kept trying to find a way. And I was so fortunate to be able to, to get in at, um, at Boston College. So, so I went there and I, you know, I had this feeling that I would probably flunk out because I just didn't know the kinds of things that some people knew. <laughs> and what I, I discovered, I mean, I did really well, but um, I didn't trust that going through. I just couldn't trust that because I knew I had not learned in, in high school nearly what I had hoped I would. And I, I found out that the, the couple of years that I had, because um, everybody at that time at Boston College was A, Catholic, which I knew nothing about, and B, straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. There was only one other woman, and she was married and had a baby. So it's no, it was nothing like it is today, you know, mm-hmm. it would not be so strange today, but then it was completely a different world. Yeah. Um, and you went so, on, you got your doctorate. I mean, you, you didn't just do uh, it. You yeah. excelled. You're amazing. Yeah. I got a master's and a doctorate and, um, and learned the best that I could and, you know, sometimes going to school is um, a compensatory thing. And I think in many ways for me, it was Mm -hmm. a compensatory thing Mm -hmm. Um, because I just really needed to find out, you know, growing up Mennonite, I felt like I was very separated from the world at large. That would not be true so much today with the Mennonite community. It's not that separate. But um, at my time growing up and being on the farm only, it was really totally separate. I kind of felt like an immigrant, Mm -hmm. but I had the the, uh, language. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to, to Boston, it was like jarring. It was so incredible. It was so different. <laughs> and I saw people wearing rags and and um, and um, <laughs> wearing sandals on purpose. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> They're trying to look kind of scuzzy. You know? <laughs> But this is really another world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had all garage sale clothes. So, you know, I figured I might fit in. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's this moment in the book when I literally threw, well, I almost threw because it was on my iPad. So I didn't, but I almost <laughs> threw it across the room. I had a little restraint. I went and I was like, nope, nope. And that is when the police, the Mound Ridge police get involved and they put you in the cop car with the person that had raped you. And 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, and twice they did that, right? Because they did that in yes. Boston too right. as well. They did yeah. in, oh, yes, they did it in Newton, and they did it in Boston. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, Newton. Yes, yeah. yeah. I just we've come. I hope we've come a long way since then. <laughs> I just I, was I, flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we have come a long way since then, and I certainly see a different quality amongst people who, you know, it's a thing now, it's domestic violence. It didn't have a name when, when I was experiencing it mm -hmm. and uh, our intimate partner violence. And yet with all we have done to come such a long way. And I think of my sister, Dorothy, Stucky Halley when I say this because she has done so much oh my gosh. to bring this issue to um to life to to where people see what happens and in training training providers training police training judges training legislators you know she just she does so much to to help educate the world about this um and yet, as she would say, we still have women being killed mm -hmm. right and left. Yeah. And if we had come far enough, <laughs> that would not be happening. Right. Um, but so many, so many are, um, are, you know, saved by having a place to go you know, having a, a shelter, yeah. a safe and, and knowing about, oh, this is a thing. And it's not only me that this happens to. It is a very hurtful experience and it involves shame. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we wonder why does a woman's identity take such a dive and why can't she just get over it and da 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 and jump out of the situation? And, you know, we think it should be magic. It's not. There, it will never be magic. Nobody leaves their home and their entire world easily. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, taking your children is a huge decision. Mm -hmm. it's huge. So yeah. what, what advice would you, if somebody who's listening to this is in that situation, what advice would you give them? If you know the um, safe house or the shelter for domestic violence victims, call them, get out of your house and call them. Mm -hmm. And they will help you plan a safety pattern to get you out mm. and they will set up a time and work with you and you know make that process as safe as it can possibly be and you need that safety yeah and they will help you you know get figured out how you're going to handle your children and take care of that part of that part of things they're experts at this they do this all the time you Is this cannot you make any difference. Specialize in, in your psychotherapy practice, Leona? I have specialized in working working with um, 
not just domestic abuse survivors, although that would be a full-time everything, <laughs> um, but I know that I can get triggered. And so I mm. have to be careful about that. Yeah. So I have um, really been an advocate for women and uh, worked with women who wanted empowerment and, you know, strength to move their lives forward <laughs> and to get out of depression and anxiety and um, and do the best they can for themselves. And that's mm. that's awesome. That's awesome. That is I awesome. often think of Tiffany when I think of somebody doing incredible things. <laughs> she is in so many ways my hero <laughs> because <laughs> she does, she creates her world and she makes it work. And she is so gifted and outgoing and loving and overcomes whatever needs to be overcome and has just been such an amazing family person. It's it's incredible. It's had so, a great role model. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've yeah. had, I've had such a, a joy watching her be who she is. Mm -hmm. So I say that to you, Tiffany. You are awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh. I, I've been around some amazing, incredible women, starting with my mom and, and then all of my aunts on the, all of my aunts, aunts I've lots, we have a big family on both sides, <laughs> but um, yeah. I was going to ask you, so I know like my aunt Dorothy Stucky Halley, uh, your sister, she, mm -hmm. like you said, she has done so much work for, for domestic violence and made leaps and bounds from where it was when she started to where it is now. And she just recently retired from being the, the state, um, I can't think of what it is, victims unit head person. Mm. Um, but how does it, how did that make you feel when she kind of went into that line of work? Well, um, I thought it was wonderful that she could do it, you know, and, um, and I saw her um, kind of pick up the mantle and make it happen. And I was so glad for her to be, um, to be righting some wrongs. And I knew she would have a lot of courage in what she was doing. And it takes courage, especially in the early days, it would take a lot of courage because you couldn't, you couldn't count on the police, you know, they would stick you in the car with your rapist. I mean, it just, <laughs> things would happen that you just couldn't even believe. Um, and, you know, they didn't really, to be fair to them, they didn't really know better. They just weren't clued in. Um, so, it's just, it's, it was wonderful to be able to see her come into her own and doing that work, which she really believed in. And um, she's, she did. She's your younger sister, things. is that right? Yeah, she's five years younger than me. Hmm. So yeah. she was quite young when, when you were going, when you, when all of this process started for you. She was, she really was. Yeah. And then of course she's in the book because it, 
it it had ramifications into her life and the family's life. She had a sense of what happens mm. because of what happened to me mm. and what happened to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was an area that she knew something about. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, you know, she was getting her social work degree and um, I'm sure learning about things in school that related to it too. But absolutely, she knew a lot about it because of her own experience and because of my my experience that, you know, when I say her own experience, that kind of bled into, sadly, her life and the, the whole family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another theme, quite central theme in the book is your is your journey with your faith, which I'd yes. love to just touch on if, okay. if that's OK. Um, I mean, you, you went through such a roller coaster ride with your with your faith and, and almost did this kind of 360 where you you started off you brought up in a very religious family. You went through all of these terrible experiences and kind of very much questioned your correct me if I'm wrong but questioned your your Mm -hmm. kind of faith and 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 God existence meaning and then ended up kind of becoming a reverend and and reconnecting with faith in in maybe a different way um I'd love for you to sort of talk talk about that a bit yeah I'd be glad to (laughs) there's so many ways I can get myself in trouble And this is one of those wonderful ways. <laughs> I, as I was dealing with uh, Ron, you know, as a teenager, 16 years old, I knew that it was up to me to somehow turn him away from my family and from me. And yet, because I knew he was violent to the point of murder. I knew I could do very little to resist him or I would bring on that side of him, the angry, violent side. And so I was kind of stuck, so to speak. And my resource, I thought, was to call on God. And so I prayed and prayed and, you know, every day was a <laughs> a walk in prayer and I was scared and so I would pray. And, and, um, and after um, a couple of years, I began to realize where the hell is God? Mm-hmm where that's my one resource, you know, everybody that I knew trusted God entirely. And I had been trusting God, even though some part of me knew, some part of me knew that I couldn't trust him entirely. Even during the rape, I knew because I didn't go to God first. I went to everything that I might possibly do to get out of this situation. Mm -hmm. 
And only when I realized there was nothing more I could do, nothing that I could think of in that moment, then I started to pray. Hmm. And, you know, after a while, I just could no longer think God is helping, partly because the one thing, the one tiny thing that I could ask of God was that he would influence Ron to do better, to do the right thing, to never come back. Mm -hmm. And my belief was, and as far as I know, everybody's belief is that God influences us all the time to help us be better than the person that we would be without God. So I knew that that was not asking too much. Mm -hmm. And the longer it went on, there was like a slow boil <clears throat> simmering in me. And I knew sometime it was going to explode. And that time came. Mm -hmm. That time came when I realized that I was going to have to marry Ron. <laughs> when I figured out what was happening to me next, I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to take this one lying down. Of course, I had to take it. That was the point. So after that, I was done with God. Done, 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 but still very angry with God. And so I stayed away. And no matter how scared I was, I didn't pray. I knew better. And no matter what was happening in my life, I just had to deal with it myself. And I knew that. And um, there were some amazing blessings that happened. This social worker that saved me, that helped me get away from Ron, you know, social workers should be the highest paid people on the earth. <laughs> they deal with these incredible situations and they, they make life and death decisions. And yet they get so little respect. I just, it, it bothers me that that's the way our world treats social workers. But anyway, um, so that and then getting to go to college was an incredible blessing. And just, you know, so many things happened that were, were amazing. And some absolutely hideous things kept happening. Ron found me again after I got away. You know, there was more absolute disastrous things. And um, finally, um, I was doing my internship um, for my psychology um, classes. And um, I met somebody that seemed really just perfect. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, he was a minister. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had long theology discussions and I would not give in and Theodicy was, of course, my issue. Theodicy is a, is a well-known issue in, 
in uh, religious studies. And what that means is how can you have a good God who is powerful? I won't even say all powerful, but very powerful. Although we usually say all powerful who can allow and not change these horrific things that happen in this world. Mm. How can that be the case? And, um, and to be honest with you, there is not. You can read all kinds of theology books and everyone wrestles with that. And if you look in the Bible, the Bible wrestles with that question. It doesn't necessarily say it in that way, but read Job. That's the whole story of Job. Mm-hmm. You know, how can these super good people have super bad things happen? And, um, but it's true for humanity in general. Mm-hmm. We're just human beings. And it's not easy to be a human being. Well, I had it at Boston College, it's a Jesuit school and the Jesuits are well known for their um, incredible scholarship (laughs) and teaching ability. And they were, you know, at first I was not gonna take a class from a priest by God, I was just sure of that. (laughs) (laughs) And then of course, some of the students said, when I was in philosophy, I had a double major philosophy and psychology. And some of the students said, oh, the best psychology classes are the philosophy courses. You gotta, you gotta try this with this priest and this one with this priest. And so finally I said, well, okay, I guess I could take a priest as a, and if he tries to pump religion into me, by God, I'll just close my mind. <laughs> and, um, so I, I took a religion class and sure enough, they were right. And I think just the fact that even though I was totally furious with God, of course, my fury itself was not letting God die to me mm-hmm. because I was so angry. There had to be a target, you know, for that anger. And these priests were such amazing teachers and I felt like I could connect with them and I'm sure it was that I had grown up with such a strong religious um, character and they had a strong religious character and so in their in the back of their thinking and they didn't force religion on anybody but in the back of their thinking was this framework that came from religion. And in the back of my thinking was a framework that came from religion. And so we really connected. And they, of course, wanted me to to study religion. They said, you're going to find a God who is so different than the one that you have known. And um, and it'll it'll be really great for you. Well, I didn't think that was possible, <laughs> but it, but this minister that I had come to know um, that I finally married thought it was possible. And, um, <clears throat> and I knew that if I could, I could get past some of this anger and I really needed to do that. Mm-hmm. 
And so I decided I would go to seminary and that I would be the skeptic that I am. And I would not take, you know, anybody's faith for my own just because they believed it. No way. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I stayed a skeptic and I tried to believe. <laughs> and, and you became a reverend. <laughs> yes. I did. That's kind of what happens when you go to seminary. And yeah. I, I actually was a pastor of two different congregations and just loved the people. And, um, and it was a good experience. And it was right after seminary for me. So they, they helped me more than I helped them by a long shot. <laughs> I think they, they kind of took me on as their ministry, you know, <laughs> congregations will sometimes do that. And that it's so sweet. And that was a really great time and great relationship. Now you, if I'm right, you, um, work a lot with pastors and ministers now still. Um, is that correct? That's correct. I, I mean, I have through the years as mm -hmm. a, I'm a, a, a pastoral counselor and psychotherapist wow. and um, have been for over 35 years. And, um, <clears throat> And so all through the years, I have seen pastors and, um, you know, I mean, just the general public, but <laughs> plenty of pastors um, in that mix. That's that's fascinating because you don't think of pastors as people who need need a need counselors right you kind of I guess you kind of think of religious leaders as they, they've got their their counselor you know their direct line to right to <laughs> wow that's that's um yeah that's just totally opened my mind up to to something new yeah mm -hmm. and it's it's really important to know that ministers are just people mm-hmm they're not any better than anyone else. They may try really hard, but they're going to always come back to being just human. Mm. And when you are a pastor of a congregation, you have every kind of human problem that exists on the earth. You know what I mean? Every family is different. Every person is different. But, you know, there's a, a bunch of them at one time that are going to be sick and their families are going to be reacting to that in different ways. And somebody over here is dying and somebody over here is being born and somebody over here just dropped out of school and, you know, got in a fight and the family is in an uproar and somebody over here just you have that whole gamut and somehow you're supposed to hold together in a meaningful and healing way what it means to be human in relationship to something beyond. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a job that is. <laughs> and if you don't need help when you're doing that job, <laughs> there's something wrong. <laughs> there's just something wrong. You know, it's it's just you've got to find ways to heal yourself, to be available, 
to not be so traumatized by by referred trauma they take that on you know when yeah. you're in the midst trying to help some fa a traumatized family because their child was just in a horrible accident and will never be the same you know that trauma goes inside of you hmm. and then you've got to deal with that as well as them you know yeah so there's many many ways in which self-care is critical for pastors mm -hmm. and being in therapy may be one of the best ways they can do that right right well i just want to say thank you so much for coming and joining us today and talking to us and being so raw and open about your life's experiences i know that that's you have come to learn how to talk about it very well and very openly. And I just want to say how much I love and respect that. Um, can you tell us the name of your book again and where our listeners can find it? Thank you so much. Yes, I will say that. Um, the name of the book is The Fog of Faith. Surviving My Impotent God. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you can get that on Amazon in a variety of different ways. Some libraries have it. You can always call your library and ask them to order it. But the other thing that people don't always realize is that it's on Audible. So you can just download it. It's professionally read. It's a, it's a beautiful book on Audible. And listen to it when you're driving or when you're, you know, washing dishes or scrubbing the floor or whatever you're doing, mindless yeah. tasks, you can listen to it. And, um, and I think, um, I think you will really appreciate what's in that book. There's a lot mm. in it. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot. And um, I know some of our listeners are also Kansas farm girls. And so you will definitely be able to identify with a lot of the themes throughout this book. Um, hopefully you have not also experienced some of the things, but definitely the tractor driving and such you will. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You will enjoy. Oh, it's, it's, I just have to say, Leanna, thank you so much for coming on. I was, I've been so excited to to meet you and talk to you, and your book just kind of moved me in so many ways. Um, I got it on Kindle. I got it on on the Kindle version from Amazon mm -hmm. UK or, or Amazon in Europe, um, and I'm so grateful that it was available and that you you'd. You, I mean, you've just put your story and your gift out to the world and you are just such an inspiring, wonderful woman. And I just feel so, so grateful to have had this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you so much. Nicole, it was wonderful to meet you. Absolutely wonderful. I am so pleased that I got to meet you too. And I really hope that we will have the opportunity, that I will have the opportunity to get to know you better because you probably know me pretty well. By now. <laughs> but, but I don't know you yet and that needs to change. So I'll look forward to that. Yes. Thank you so much, both of you. Thanks a million. Okay. Conversation. Yes. <laughs>
that was in that was intense that was good huh yeah that was amazing that was amazing I'm just I don't know what to say (laughs) yeah there were there were times early on in it where you know I kind of started tearing up and because I'm just so close to the subject and um I'm so honored and excited that she we were able to do this and record this podcast with her. Yeah. So for all of our listeners out there, go out, get her book. I highly recommend it. Not only because she's my, my aunt, but also because it's just an incredible, incredible book that, um, it, and just know it's intense and it, it can trigger you, but it's, it's a really good, raw, real story. Okay. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week and we'll be back with you in two weeks. So signing off, this is Tiffany and this is Nicole. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.